Hello and welcome to Market Sense Eye on the Prairies podcast. My name is Brian Como. Today we have a good uh, episode for you where we're going to talk about uh, the high value of corn, the high value of canola, uh, some implications on those two commodities, some other commodities, and then we're going to get into the Canadian dollar a little bit. Uh, and that is with uh, David Ryman and Ed Bershinsky, our other two risk managers uh, with Market Sense. Uh, so with that, we'll get started. How are you gentlemen doing today? Uh, I'm doing great. I just wanted to know how you know it's going to be a good episode when we haven't done the episode yet. So <laughs> I'm also doing, doing well too. That out. <laughs> I, have faith, I have faith in the bovine excrement that will come out of you, Dave. <laughs> of the best quality. Of the, be- the, best, the best quality bovine excrement only from, only from Dave. I have no comeback to that one. <laughs> Uh, so since you've already been uh, difficult on this call, I thought I'd call on you first, Dave, because there's been a lot of uh, lots going on in the canola market uh, recently, particularly with the uh, you know the July futures, and even we've had a lot of you know questions and conversations about the July NOV spread. Mm-hmm. So I just thought uh, I'd ask you about a, a quick update on on what's happening specifically in the July, um, and. Um, and what you see with the uh, correlation between that and the NOV. Well, so, you know, I, I think uh, obviously no major uh, surprises that we're in a tight supply situation on canola and uh, the demand has been super strong and drawing down stocks. That's why all of the months been going up. So July is kind of just taking over where uh, March and Jan and everything left off. Um, now it's gotten to this point, though, where it's interesting because you, you started off saying there's a lot going on in canola. It's actually like, no, there isn't. Uh, there's almost nothing going on. The trade is actually very thin uh, because actual business is really not existent here. We're, we're well above global values for canola, for canola oil, um, all of these things. So end users aren't stepping in here. We're seeing some people uh, still covering some shorts in the Julys and, and other months as well uh, in the spreads. And since it is a tight supply situation and nobody really knows exactly how tight, uh, no one's really willing to step in and sell it now. And so the, the trade's gotten very thin and it's just accelerating higher till we find some place where, um, you know, somebody's going to sell something. And what I actually think will probably finally kill this thing at some stage is uh, someone will probably flip us back a cargo or two and replace it with cheaper Australian or Black Sea or somebody's uh, uh, canola. Right now, um, you know, if you're if you're looking at Black Sea and that we're we're 200 and some dollars US a, a ton above them, we're 125 or 150 dollars above Aussie seed. Uh, so it's quite conceivable that we'll start to see something either imports uh, or cancellations and swap for those cheaper supplies. Um, and so, you know, where I do get kind of nervous about it is that spread is so wide. It's $201 say actually almost $202. Um, if, if somebody was to dump a, or, or carry one vessel too much, right? Like, I think this is where it's going to end up is that all the grain companies, all of the people that are in this stuff are going to look as we get into July and say, who's going to carry more bushels of canola over than they need? Because if you do, if you carry it into new crop right now, you're eating $202 a ton. On one 60,000 ton vessel, that's $12 million. 
Uh, so, you know, it's quite conceivable that at some point that somebody could say, hey, why don't I just dump this and uh, replace with some Aussie seed or Ukrainian seed or something like that. Remember, too, that China, Black Sea um, and Europe all start harvesting canola in late June. So, you know, we're kind of starting to compete against some of those new crops as well. So, you know, the point is, uh, yes, it's going. And yes, who knows where it stops? I mean, we printed $1,000 on the May today, uh, something obviously we've never seen. But, uh, you know, it isn't really demand driving it. And I think we need a lot of caution because at some point this balloon will pop and uh, we'll come back to some kind of reality, which at this point is quite a bit lower than where we're at. So caution, please. Hey Ed, maybe I'll ask you a question now because you're still kind of embedded in the farm in the in the farm conversations. But you know, as far as new crop goes, or maybe I'll back up a second. I think a, a start to the rally this year was that a, a lot of uh, farmers were well sold coming into harvest, uh, and then they didn't have a whole lot to sell once we got into the harvest months, and that's when the rally started to really kick into that. You know, when we started seeing futures values move above 500 and 520, which at this point in time seems like a, ages ago. But uh, what do you think the the new crop situation is looking like? Uh, are we going to go into this year, A, because of, you know, uh, uh, shyness around pricing in a bullish market and also around the dryness that we're seeing in Western Canada? Are we going to be moving into uh, a year where we see the farmer less sold than normal coming into harvest of 2021? Well, I think it's... Uh... I think it's relative right now because uh, last year, right around this time, there was some fairly good moisture. And um, throughout the growing season, the farmer um, felt fairly confident. Actually, there was talk about a record-sized crop at one point. And so they were selling also as the market started creeping higher, you know, $10, dollars $10.50, $10.75, $11. <clears throat> uh, you know, those are pretty good prices. And uh, so guys were stepping in. They felt they had the bushels. <clears throat> so they were. They ended up being pretty heavily sold. And when the crop came off, it wasn't quite as big as expected. And um, some guys ended up being oversold. This year is the complete opposite. We're going into the year um, dry, and uh, and at prices that are high, but nobody's quite sure if they're going to go higher. And uh, nobody really wants to step in too hard and sell 50% or 70% or, you know, sell a, sell the farm, which they would have done if you had told them they could have sold $17 canola even a couple months ago because we're not sure um, about the weather right now. So how far are you sold um, based on the crop that you're going to get? So I would say going into this year, there is, uh, if we get a little bit of moisture and, and we feel confident in the crop, the, the farmer is probably undersold. And uh, he's got some firepower to throw into a market if if he does feel he's got the crop. Mm-hmm. Um, Dave, kind of going back to you, maybe a little bit more on this on the new crop, old crop spread. I think you know, in general terms, in a in a normal invert or in a normal inverted market, we would see uh, uh, deferred values uh, rise up to the value of the front month contract. Of course, this in this case between the NOV, uh, sorry, and the July and the NOV, there's an entire harvest in between that. So, right. What what, uh, what do you th- what would you suggest or what do you think the the opportunities and risks are for the NOV and how would you uh, handle those opportunities and risks? 
Yeah, I mean, that's one cautionary note there is that, you know, when you talk about sort of a normal inverse and, you know, much like when we saw the Jan go off the board, we, we expected March to rally to it. When March went off, we expected May and so on. But this is new crop. And so there is a, a different story in the sense that, um, I mean, we don't know the the acreage, we don't know the yields and everything yet. So there's a lot of unknowns and it's pulling off higher. Uh, also, the dryness that Ed was referring to. So, you know, there's a lot of concerns. But, you know, you get some timely rains and maybe with this rally, you buy another million acres or so and and you have trend looking yields, um, then probably NOV doesn't have to go to where the July is because it's a completely different supply demand situation on new crop. So, you know, I think, again, it, it it's going to keep going as long as we're unsure. We're not going to know anything about acreage for real for some time. Uh, you know, we we won't get the June estimates until way into uh, into uh, July and August. And at the same time, you know, until the weather actually changes or anything, it's not there. So I don't think we see any easing on any of these markets really uh, right now. Uh, I mean, again, lots of volatility. So you could see some up and down days of some serious numbers. But, you know, a true breaking of the trend probably can't happen until we get at least into June or July. And then, you know, as we get into there, maybe see that the seeding's progressing and the crop looks good or doesn't, you know, whatever, whatever the story is, is panning out, then that's the direction we go. But I, I think in the in the short term, you know, we'll get some stocks numbers tomorrow that uh, I made some comments in the report we put out today that I don't really trust those numbers this time anyway. But, um, you know, there's there's really nothing else we can talk about until we get some harder guesses on acreage and yield potential. And, you know, I don't see that happening in May. So. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're right in the heat of the a canola growing uh, area of Canada. So it is good every once in a while to like take a little bit of a broader approach. And, you know, Ed, maybe I'll, in this morning's commentary, you were uh, mentioning that, uh, um, you know, the, the canola is exciting, but the rest of the oil seed complex is is exciting as well. Mm -hmm. um, so what, uh, you know, what is continuing to drive, you know, the bean oil, the palm oil, all of those oils at this time? Well, going into the year, uh, there were some global veg oils were, were fairly tight from a historical perspective. So I think already there was uh, the, the landscape was there uh, for a, an issue whether it be demand or supply to cause a rally. And uh, we got both. We got a supply problem um, with, uh, well, early on it was with Brazilian beans. They were worried about the dryness there. And we got a, a shorter carryout of the U.S. Uh, beans. And then you got a demand surge as well, too. I mean, um, with COVID, you had uh, Chinese restocking. They were buying veg oils. Um, you also had India buying veg oils as well, restocking after COVID. So uh, supply and demand in an already supply tight supply situation, that really got things heated up. And I think early on there was quite a bit of sales. And, uh, you know, they were at good, val good values, good profitable levels. Uh, and now we're mostly sold out and we still got several months to go before you can put your hands on some new crop U.S. beans. And the crushers there are worried, and, and I think they may consider slowing the crush rate uh, because they can't get the beans that they need. They might import it from Brazil, some cargoes. They may even import some bean oil from Argentina. But I think at the end of the day, the prices have to be high to have the United States importing um, beans and bean oil. And as a result, we've seen that, right? Um, uh, and I think that's what's really driving the bean oil 
market and that's helping out canola is that that worry that we're going to have to slow the crush down yeah and uh, you know this this is kind of the time of year where palm oil generally is is at some of its highest levels it's it, you know it's, it's produced annually but this is i think it's seasonal seasonal good time for production is that right dave i think sir you are on mute Sorry about that. Um, yeah, it, in fact, if anything, we're getting a little bit to the tail end of some of the peak uh, seasonal push, usually that Jan, Feb, March, even into April, but then it starts to level off again a little bit. So, um, you know, I, I think it is a uh, uh, still a, a higher production period, but the demand just has been so strong. And, you know, there's several reasons. I mean, again, China restocking and all of the various things, uh, the world coming out of COVID and seeing veg oil consumption go up. But in the U.S., you know, we see some pretty favorable uh, uh, renewable fuel initiatives and uh, Biden administration's very strong on renewable diesel and such. So there's a whole lot of things kind of playing in all at the same time, you know, plus a lot of spec buying. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, Ed, also, I'll, uh, I'll pull another word you used out of uh, the morning commentary this morning, which is uh, king corn. And, uh, you know, actually one of the, when we, when we talked about doing this podcast earlier this week, we talked about doing a podcast about $7 corn. We didn't necessarily know that canola was going to hit $1,000 yet at that point. So that was kind of the most exciting market, but uh, um, it, it definitely has its competition. But what's what's happening in the corn market specifically it, you know a lot of times we we feel like the markets are heavily weighted to north american weather but this is more of a south american story would you agree with that yeah i think everything is about south american safrina corn safrina meaning second crop and that's their brazil's primary export crop so it really does matter to world supply and demand um <clears throat> what that safrina corn crop is doing a lot of it's grown in uh, Mato Grosso, Paraná. Those are the two biggest states. And we've gone a couple of weeks now with basically zero rain across most of the corn growing region. And it looks like we're going to go another two weeks with literally zero rain in a, a couple of those areas. This is during the main pollination stage because the crop was planted late. So this is also going into the Brazilian dry season. So. Uh, chances are it'll stay dry. This is normally when it is dry for them. So, you know, we're looking at potential for some pretty serious reductions to the Brazilian corn crop. And they are um, one of the, the bigger producers in the world. And so this is going to really affect the carryout for globally. Uh, we just don't know how bad it's going to be yet. So anytime there's uncertainty in the market during the growing season, it often tends to be upside volatility and that's exactly what we're seeing in corn. Um, and then, of course, being the world's primary feed grain or one of the, the most important feed grains, um, it's just supporting pretty much everything. Uh, strong corn market can lead just about everything. That's why it's king. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there are some potential risks in, in, in the demand rationing stage and it does you know you did make mention again in the commentary that you know china did cancel a couple of vessels um at, at what point and this is a question open to either one of you at, at what point do we see these prices you know the these high prices curing the high prices 
Uh, I think to some degree that's happening. Uh, I don't think it's going to break really soon because once again, as Ed mentioned, the weather and everything, the situation in Mato Grosso is ongoing and and the production estimates continue to fall and, and realistically that's probably going to continue for some time. So I, I don't think corn breaks very much, but you know, the sort of initial question about $7 corn, $7 and beyond corn is absolutely already pushing a lot of feed use in towards wheat, uh, barley, peas, you know, everything else, as you mentioned. But right now, the most affordable option out of that is wheat. And so you're seeing China doing a lot more wheat. They had a, a stockpile of reportedly over 150 million tons that they're drawing down on uh, in place of corn. But you're also seeing them starting to import some feed wheat. Uh, you're seeing other countries like uh, Korea, as an example, one of the largest feed consumers on the planet. Um, they're they're heavily into wheat right now. And even in Western Canada, you know, we're seeing a lot more wheat finding its way into rations because the barley's so tight because China's been buying all the barley instead of all the corn. Uh, so I, I, I think that rationing is underway. Um, it probably won't result in us topping tomorrow because Mato Grosso continues to be, you know, a deteriorating situation. But, um, you know, once we sort of factor that in and, and once again, depending, this is probably buying a lot more U.S. acreage. The corn bean ratio has really gone in corn's favor in the last month or so. And so, you know, if we again get to a good crop situation for corn, maybe we can ease off then. But once again, I don't see that happening in May. That's likely a June, July kind of story if if uh, at the soonest. Yeah, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I'll, I'll dive into wheat here for a couple of minutes because, you know, wheat's getting a lot of attention, particularly around the North Dakota and, and Southern Canadian, you know, drought and weather situation. Uh, the drought map released just today as well even showed, you know, another another percentage point of severe drought was added to the North Dakota crop this uh, this week and another percentage point added to the, uh, so yeah, another one percentage added to extreme and one percent added to ex, uh, severe so the the drought is seen as as continuing to worsen in in those areas and and i can tell you looking out my you know kitchen window uh, uh, here in in winnipeg it's you know we're in desperate need of some rain at this point as well um but yeah corn continues to outperform and i think that uh you know although the drought is definitely having an effect on the wheat i think as ed mentioned corn is king i think the, the the major driver in this wheat market is still probably corn and its ability to be rationed into the feed markets at this point. One thing I will caution about corn and beans, um, the weather story in the U.S. is primarily in the western edge of things and, you know, hitting hard red winter and spring wheat and, you know, those sorts of things, the Dakotas and, and uh, Minnesota as far as corn and beans go too. But the vast majority of the corn and bean belt uh, and even arguably soft, soft red winter um, has been getting some pretty good moisture. And in fact, the planting of corn and beans is ahead of average there too. So one real danger that's just not catching a lot of headlines at this point in time. And and again, because of South America being such a, a wreck at this point. Uh, but at this stage, we're actually off to a really good start for, you know, the vast majority of the corn and bean acres in the state. So that's a real, you know, watch out going forward. Uh, if we don't see further deterioration there, you know, sooner or later, the South American crop will be baked into the market and then we have to face this U.S. side. So there's something to keep an eye on. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to switch gears here a little bit and move into the currency. And uh, uh, Ed, you put out a, a market update recently about the currency, but uh, I just thought I'd ask, what are some, uh, you know, things on the horizon that, that you might be looking for, whether that's, you know, fundamental macro news or whether it's, 
technical chart formations that you're looking at in the currency market to signal either ongoing uh, continuation of trends or or even trend reversals? Well, um, the Canadian dollar is often considered a commodity currency. So uh, one of our most important commodity exports is oil, but we do export a lot of uh, metals, um, agricultural goods, clearly. And uh, with a general idea that there's going to be a commodity boom, um, the Canadian dollar has been catching some head or some some support from that. Um, so I think that's that's the headline story. That's an easy way to explain the Canadian dollar strength. Um, I think probably what's more important for the Canadian dollar, though, is that uh, our central bank has indicated that it's going to reduce its uh, money printing, you could call it, or um, funding of government debt. And um, when you increase the supply of a currency, you tend to reduce its value. But if everybody is printing money around the world, then it really matters who's printing the most and who's printing the least. And it sounds like, as of last month, um, the Bank of Canada is going to be the one that's going to start printing less than everybody else. And from a currency perspective, that's big news. Um, it may seem counterintuitive. I mean, we're just going through a recession. I think there's a lot of um, rig risks in the Canadian economy. Uh, we're certainly um, you know, lagging on the COVID side. There's quite a bit of uh, lockdown still happening, third wave, you name it, right? It's It's pretty unfortunate. But when you if you're if you're the if you're the country that's printing less than everybody else then your currency is going to go up and i think that's what's happening so we recently broken some pretty important technical levels 80 cents against the us dollar was pretty strong resistance we broke through that um, 81.75 was another long term resistance level broke through that today um, we're up almost a full three quarters of a penny right now as we speak and it seems like we're going to head for 83 cents, which was the high of 2017. So uh, once you go past that 83 cent level, then really you got a lot of room to potentially go to par for the Canadian dollar. I think that would be, um, I think that would be a significant development. But I'm not, I'm not writing that off. That scenario could certainly happen. Yeah, I think though, you know, one of the risks, and I think you outlined this in your in your market update this week, is that uh, you know this commodity cycle is helping the Canadian dollar, uh, and it, it the rise in the Canadian dollar is being offset by the rise in commodity prices. So uh, our cash crop prices, like the the, the you know, money in the money in your jeans for the for the commodities you grow, is still going higher even with the Canadian dollar moving higher. So I guess the risk in 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 hoping for a Canadian dollar retracement is that you hope it doesn't come along with a retracement of the entire commodity sector either, right? Because then you you still probably net yeah, net deficit in 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 commodity prices if that happens. So, so I think the whole the whole thing is correlated and is moving together at this point, as or so it feels like. Absolutely, I agree. I mean, if you're only if if you need a commodity, if it's in short supply, you know, if you go to the grocery store and there's only one brand of and it's the top brand of peanut butter. Um, and you need peanut butter, you're going to buy it, right? But if you got a few to choose from, and and maybe you don't need so much peanut butter, you can be, be a bit more picky choosy. Um, then then the little ten cent differences between the price uh, of the different jars on the shelf is going to matter. And I think that's the thing right now with Canadian commodities is that everybody wants the commodities. They're in short supply. They're going to pay what they need to get them. 
But if they can be a bit choosy and they can decide, well, you know, this guy's got a, a discount because his commodity, because his currency is cheaper. Look at that Aussie dollar; it's cheaper. Um, then Canada's gonna potentially suffer there. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that wraps up what I uh, the questions I had for you guys today. Um, unless you had any final thoughts. Not for me. No, that was great. Thanks for giving us the opportunity to share our thoughts. Sounds good. Well, thank you guys for joining me today, and uh, I'll let you get on with your day, and uh, have a good one. Awesome. Take care.